God in heaven, we thank you for your word that has spoken to generations and generations of believers and that still speaks. We ask today that you would speak. We also know you're always speaking. So really what we're asking today is that you would make us good hearers of what you have to say. In Jesus' name, and in the power of that spirit you have given us. Amen. Okay, well, we begin uh, this week on this sermon series on uncommon unity. Um, About five years ago, we began as a church going through a season in our, our time as elders and leaders. Our original plan was actually to come up with like a vision for the next five or ten years of the church. And what the Lord led us to in that time instead was for us to look backwards and to really name and identify who God has made us to be. What are the unique qualities and characteristics that make Broadway Christian Church the church that we are? And um, during that season, the four key characteristics that we named um, as a church were this. Steadfast worship, healing community, uncommon unity, and faithful witness. These were four characteristics that we believed really described who we are as a church. Now, there are many different local churches throughout our city, throughout our country, throughout our world, who live out the calling to go and make disciples in their own particular and unique way. And so when we talk about these characteristics, we're not like patting ourselves on the back or saying that we're better than other churches because we have these great things that are part of this. This is not what we're saying at all. What we're saying is that God has uniquely called Broadway because of our unique place here in Fort Wayne, our unique place downtown, the unique leaders and people that he has called here over the 50 years that we've been a church, that he has formed and shaped us to be a community of people that demonstrate these four qualities as a church. And it is almost 50 years. On January 5th, coming up, 1974, will be our 50-year anniversary as a church. God has been faithful. But for the next 12 weeks, we're going to focus on this one quality that God has cultivated in us, this call to be a church of uncommon unity. And the statements that we uh, were led to put together that, that describe what we mean by uncommon unity are this, is that we are a diverse community brought together by our shared experience of the love of Jesus, our King. Would you just read that with me? We are a diverse community brought together by our shared experience of the love of Jesus, our King. And a couple ways that we do this very tangibly is by expressing our spiritual gifts. We believe that each person that has been baptized and are part of the life of the church has been given uh, gifts to use for the building up of the body. And we also do that by welcoming each person as a unique bearer of God's image. We believe that every single person bears and reflects the image of God in the world. And that it's part of God's work in in their life to shape them and form them to better reflect God in their own life and the way that they go about living their life. And so we want to welcome each person remembering that they are a unique bearer of God's image. 
So our focus over the next 12 weeks is going to be on this idea of unity. But I want to first talk a little bit about this adjective, uncommon. Uncommon. What do we mean by that? Well, today, right here in in this church, is a room full of people who are very different from one another. There are some of you in this room who have a lot of money, and there are some of you who have very little money. There are some of you who are black and brown, others of us who are white, Republicans and Democrats, independents, and folks who don't care about politics at all. There are young and old, and we saw that demonstrated to us this morning as our children were here and as our youth led worship. The music here that you come and and worship to and are led to is different every Sunday because God has given us different leaders to lead us in that part of our worship service. And some of you just love that. You love coming and not knowing what that's going to be like. And it's going to be, is it going to be, you know, Paul and Annie? Or is it going to be Sam? Or is it going to be Christy or Ben and Lisa or Steve? Or who is it going to be this week? And some of you love that. And some of you, that's really hard. We have people here in our church with lots of different and various faith backgrounds, Christian or otherwise. Folks who are raised in non-Christian or atheist homes or nominally Christian homes. One of your pastors grew up in an American Baptist church and another pastor grew up in a South African Pentecostal church. Praise God. Some of you grew up Lutheran or Catholic, Amish, Mennonite, Methodist. And in some ways, as I was thinking about that this week, I kind of wonder if this may be one of our most unique and profound diversities. The way that we as a church come back from, come from all these different backgrounds, and for one way or another, God has grabbed us in such a way that God has called us and led us to be a part of this church that expresses this diversity in different faith and doctrinal backgrounds, and that God has brought us here anyways and has brought us together. And many of you carry these doctrinal distinctives from your past. They're really important to you. Or your personal preferences, they're really important to you. But in some way, you've laid those down for the sake of unity. Some of you may wish we would express certain doctrinal beliefs more than we do. Or that our worship gatherings would look a bit more liturgical and orderly. And some of you wish that we were much less liturgical and orderly. Some of you wish we would focus more on some theological issue or doctrinal issue more than we do. Some of you wish we would be more politically motivated and focused, and others wish we would be way less so. But you're here. And all of us, every single one of us, give up some of our preferences or interests for the sake of some other aspect of our church's life and our church's mission that we connect with. And for the sake of that unity, even if it's not everything we wish it would be, I'm the pastor, and it is not everything I wish it would be here. But we come together, and we worship, and we fellowship, and we serve together because we have a shared experience of the love of Jesus, our King. And we believe that God has called us to this place to be a part of this group of people who are seeking to be faithful to Christ's call in our unique way. And I hope that every church in this city would be able to say the same kind of things that I've just said about our church. That 
They come and lay down their preferences for the sake of one another in order that they may carry out the mission that God has given to them in their own unique way. One of the things that I have said in the past is that I want Broadway Christian Church. I pray that we would be a community of people that could not exist if it wasn't for God. That we could not exist if it wasn't for God. In other words, it's my hope for our church that we will be a gathering of people who come together, not because we are alike in our worship style preferences, in our race or our socioeconomic background or because of our age or whatever other worldly reason that we would come together but instead because we have a shared experience of the love of jesus our king and that we believe that we are members of one body with unique and invaluable gifts and that our diversity of our gifts and our background and our circumstances contributes to the building up of the whole i have so many friends in this church that i would not likely be friends with if it wasn't for our shared commitment to Jesus and our shared commitment to this church. Back a few years ago, when we were looking for a, a worship leader, um, Steve Wilhoff is one of these people who's a friend of mine who we would not be friends <laughs> if it wasn't for this church. Um, and we were interviewing a candidate to be our worship leader, and it was bizarre how much this person was like me. The way they talked, the way they formed their sentences, their gestures, it was weird. So we all got done, and we just kind of laughed at how odd this was, at how alike this person was to me. And I said, yeah, but you guys love me. And Steve Wilhoff says, I love one of you. So many of you come together in your small groups, you hug each other here on Sunday mornings, and it may be unlikely that you would be friends in some other circumstance, but there is affection. There is care and concern because God has called you here at this time in this place to this church to participate in this unique mission that God has for us. And not only would you maybe not be friends with them if it was some other circumstance, but now you would lay down your life for them. The church isn't meant to be a club where people who are alike or who share the same interests or the same hobby or the same sports team. We're not supposed to be that kind of community. The church is a foretaste, a picture of the heavenly worship described in Revelation where every tribe and tongue and language and nation join together and sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The church is a foretaste of that heavenly worship. It is a glimpse of that heavenly worship that's happening right now. And this is who we are called to be, a church of uncommon unity. But before we continue and look at Ephesians today, I think it's important for us to also begin to acknowledge that we have not arrived we are in many ways a church of uncommon unity in the ways that I've just described, but we also fall very short of where God wants us to be, and we have a lot of room to grow in this area of uncommon unity to be the church that God wants us to be. And I would say that of all four of these characteristics, this has been the, the most painful for me one personally 
And I think it's for many of us the quality of the four qualities that we describe, the one that has been most tested in our congregation in the ways that we have perhaps failed to live up to this call. Our uncommon unity has been tested and stretched and strained over the last few years. There's been a lot of hurt and a lot of division, a lot of severing of relationships in our community over the last few years. And I still, I still feel the pain of that. And I'm not kidding you every single day. I feel the pain of that brokenness that we've experienced. I know that many of you do too. Whether it was political difference or pandemic issues or theological differences or personality issues, much of our disunity that existed was brought into the open and revealed in the last few years. And let's just note that we're about to enter into 2024, be another election season that will no doubt test us again. And other circumstances are coming that we don't even know about yet that are around the corner that the enemy will want to use to bring division. Uncommon unity is hard. And uncommon unity is fragile. It's a very fragile thing. It's elusive. We get small tastes of it every once in a while, but it's really hard to experience constantly over time because we are human beings, every one of us with our own wounds, with our own preferences, with the own way that we think things should be. And we bring those things to the community That causes tension and and hurt if we bring those things in the wrong kind of way. I want to talk a little bit about that today. Turn with me, if you haven't already, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. So much of Paul's writings are about unity. Often when we read Paul, we, we think of him as the one who talks about how we can be made right with God. And that is true. Paul's gospel is that the relationship that exists between me and God can be restored through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Paul talks just as much about the you and me relationship as he does about the me and God relationship. That through Jesus, the you and me relationship can also be restored. Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians in particular are letters written to churches in large part to address one issue. How is it that Gentile and Jewish Christians can both fellowship and eat and worship together? Not not just could they do that, but they should do it. In fact, they must do it for the sake of the unity of the gospel that through Christ and his cross, The dividing walls of hostility have come down. And that theme is often missed by us because it's not a question that we typically bring to the text. But it was a huge question for Paul and for many of the churches that he was ministering to because that point of division, that ethnic division between Jew and Gentile was a threat to the gospel a threat to Christian unity. And so he's writing many of his letters to address that problem that those churches in their unique time and place were struggling with. And so what I want to do this morning is to walk us through a couple points of the book of Ephesians that speaks about this uncommon unity that Paul calls the church to be about. For Paul, this is one of the most important things about the church. And he writes about it over and over again. And in Ephesians, he says some really surprising things about what the church is and what the church is called to be. So today I do, in Ephesians, I want to 
paint a picture of what the church is, because I think very often our understanding of what the church is for us in our life tends to be very, very small and individualistic and consumeristic, and it's not what the scriptures offer to us. In the scriptures, the church has a cosmic, eternal significance. It is the most important group of people in the world. It is the group of people that demonstrate his wisdom and his plan and his purpose to the whole world. And so I want to offer us a vision today for what the scripture says about why you are actually a part of a church at all and why our unity together matters. Because our unity is not just a matter of learning how to be nice to one another. Our unity is not for the purpose of us just being able to get along. Our unity is to demonstrate God's plan and purpose for the whole creation that he has made. That sounds crazy, but it's true. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, read there, beg. I beg you, I implore you, please live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 is the pivot point of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. The first three chapters, he gives his theological reasons for who we are, his his description of what Jesus did for us and how we can be made right with God as individuals and how we can be made right with one another um, in our lives, in our individual lives and in our differences with one another. In chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, I'm just going to make four points here from Ephesians, and you can jot these down if you are a note taker. My daughter thinks that I need to do more outlines, and so I'm doing my best here, Gloria. So number one, God's purpose is given in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. If you want to know what God's will is, read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. Paul tells you exactly what his will is, and it's to bring all things together. Chapter 1, verse 9. God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. This is the mystery of his will. It will be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. And this is it. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. To bring all things, things that you can see and things that you cannot see, that all things will be brought together under the authority of Jesus. That is God's plan and purpose for the whole world. But there is a problem, and we find out what that problem is in chapter 2. We find that sin is our problem because sin tears us apart. God's purpose is that we would be brought together, and sin tears apart. It tears apart our relationship vertically between us and God, and it tears apart our relationships horizontally between us and one another. Chapter 2 also gives us a solution. Paul makes it clear that through those Christ, those tears can be mended. Those things that have been pulled apart can be brought back together. Those wounds that are caused by our sin can be healed. 
Those divisions that exist between me and God and the divisions that exist between you and me, they can be healed in Christ. So in the book of Ephesians, Paul tells us that God's final goal for everything is to be united in Christ. And he tells us that the problem is our sin that tears us apart and that our solution is Christ who can mend those tears. This is Paul's gospel in the letter to the Ephesians. So the church, then, has a particular calling in a world that is being pulled apart. Our world is constantly being pulled apart by sin, and the church has an opportunity, a particular calling, to live in a particular way in a world that is being ripped apart. And the church is calling... is calling is to be the one community on earth that lives right now as if God's purpose was already fulfilled. One day, God will bring all things together under the authority of Jesus. Right now, we are the group of people who already live as if that was true. We are the community now that knows our Lord. We know where the universe is headed. We know that one day all things will be united in Christ, and so we are called right now to live in that unity as if that future were already here, because it is in the resurrection and the sending of the Spirit. It is already here. And so when we do that, when we live out this uncommon unity, when we demonstrate this uncommon unity, we become what I'm calling the hint of God's final plan. And what he tells us, which... I think are two of the most, I mean, insane isn't the right word because that seems disrespectful, but two of the most profound and strange and unbelievable, unbelievable is probably the best, unbelievable words in the scriptures, especially about the church. Ephesians chapter three, verses nine and 10. Here, Paul tells us that the church is the hint to the world and to angels and demons about what God's final plan is for the whole world. Ephesians 3, 9 to 10. Sorry, 10 and 11. God's intent was that now, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places according to his eternal purpose to bring all things together, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And just read that again. I think there's so much there that we can kind of skim over these two verses. And these two verses changed my life about 17 years ago. God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which was accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What is our calling? To be a hint to the angels and demons about what God's purpose for the whole world is. No wonder in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I urge you, I beg you to live faithfully to this calling. No wonder. Our unity is an expression, a foretaste, an illustration, a hint of what God is going to do for all things at the end of history. At the end of history, God is going to bring all things under the authority of Jesus. 
Right now, the church is meant to be that community that lives that right now in history. We are the hint of what is coming. And that hint that God is giving through us is that the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, the angels and the demons, the principalities and the powers that you and I cannot see with our eyes, but apparently they can see us with theirs. That when they see us, they see what God's purpose is for the world. What Paul is saying here is this, is that in the unseen heavenly places, you and I have an audience. The angels and the demons are looking on right now. They are watching, and I don't know how this works. But here in Ephesians, we're told that the rulers and authority of the heavenly places, they are observing what is happening on the earth. And what Paul says is that when they see the church, when they see men and women, Jew and Gentile, Baptists from America and South African American Pentecostals, South South African Pentecostals, and Anabaptists and Catholics, rich and poor, slave and free, young and old, when they see the church together under the authority of Christ, the wisdom and plan and purposes of God are revealed to them. That's what it says. It's weird. It's really weird. But it's what it says. God gives when we come together on Sunday morning, when we gather together in our small groups under the authority of Christ, God gives the angels and demon a hint at what's coming at the end. They say, oh, I see what's happening. I see what's coming. And when the angels see it, they rejoice. And when the demons see it, they tremble. And so no wonder, Paul says, I urge you, I beg you, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I beg you. So what does it look like to live this calling? How do we do that? How do we live a life worthy of this calling? He says it in verse 2. Paul says, build really, really big churches and fill them up. Put Jesus up on billboards, create strategies for ministry, market Christian music and merchandise, write and publish and read lots and lots of books on Christian living and theology and write biblical commentaries and read them. I'm being sarcastic here, but aren't we... Those are usually the sorts of things that we consider as success. Aren't those sometimes the sorts of things that we use to measure whether or not a ministry is being faithful to our calling? There's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things. Those are part of the life of the church. They, They can and are good things, but they are not the goal or even the means to the goal. They are not how Paul describes how to be a church that lives faithfully to our calling. Here is what Paul says. This is what it means to live faithful to our calling, to be a demonstration to the angels and demons of what God's plan and purpose is. Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. That's it. It's so quiet. It's such a quiet thing. It's mustard seed work. It's yeast in a batch of dough work. It's unseen by the world, but it's seen by the angels and the demons. The angels stand on tiptoe to see it, and they are amazed. Apparently, angels and demons aren't really all that impressed with popularity or flash or with wealth or with fame or with worldly success. What they seem to be really impressed with is when you are really gentle with your friend. 
when you are humble with your spouse, when you are patient with that person who hurt you again. That seems to be what the angels and the demons are most impressed by and what most reveals to them where history is going. And the great thing about Paul's instructions here in verse 2 is that every single one of us can do it. Rich or poor alike, you do not have to have a lot of money to be humble and gentle and to bear with one another in love. You don't have to be worldly successful. You don't have to have a lot of education. You can just be who you are in the relationships that you engage with, and you can commit yourself with the help of God's Spirit to be completely humble and gentle and to bear with your neighbor with your brother, with your sister, with your spouse, with your children, in love. Verse 3, make every effort to do this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In chapter 2, we're not going to go there right now, but in chapter 2, Paul says that this unity in the Spirit already exists. That, That there is a very true way in which you and I, if we are followers of Jesus, are already united in the heavenly places. We are already, Paul says, seated at the right hand of God the Father. That already my unity with you exists. And so our calling is to live faithfully to what is already true about us. The church is a really messy place. We don't get along well with one another. We gossip and we argue. We look down on our neighbors. We are sinners like the rest of the world. And the church isn't very glamorous. It's pretty ordinary, ordinary kinds of people. We are messy and we are ordinary, but God is present here. And he fills the church with his presence and he says, you are the body of Christ. And I am choosing you not by your own merit, not because you're so clever, but by my sheer grace to make myself known to you and to carry out my work and purposes in the world through you. This is the great mystery of the church. Church, you're called to simply be humble and gentle, to be patient and bear with one another in love. In the Christian community, we're going to have lots of opportunities to learn how to do that. So the closer we come to one another, the more time we spend together, my sin is going to bump into your sin. My problems and my wounds are going to bump into your wounds, and we're going to hurt one another. That's just the way that it is when we live life together. The difference in being part of a community called the church is that not that we never experience those sorts of things. It's not that we never experience harm from others or that we harm other people. The difference is that we are a community grounded in and centered on the life of Jesus. And so that attitude of Jesus, with the help of the Spirit, can be our attitude towards others. Like Jesus, we can be humble and gentle, patient and bearing with one another in love. And so when someone hurts us, we can make every effort to be like Christ in that moment and to forgive them as he taught us to forgive. Verse 4, and this is the last verse we're going to look at this morning. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all referenced here in verse 4. 
Paul is telling us here that our unity together as diverse people is rooted in the unity that God shares in his triune nature. God is three persons, blessed Trinity, one perfect being existing as three persons in perfect unity. And our diverse unity is grounded and rooted in his reality. There is one body and one spirit. The church is one body with many parts. This is an image that Paul uses a lot, that we are one body, each with different roles and different functions to play. But we are enlivened by one spirit, made alive by the same spirit that works through all the different parts of the body to carry out the work that God has called us to do. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We have one Lord, Jesus Christ, who we place our faith in and whose life we have been baptized into. We have one Lord that we need, one Lord that we've received salvation from, Jesus Christ. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This week, I was in a conflict with some friends. And after I realized the ways that I had messed up in that conflict, the way that my sins had harmed others, the Lord reminded me of this verse, chapter 4, verse 4, that God is the Father of all, who is over all, and through all and in all. God is the Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And what the Lord taught me in that moment as this, these verses, I was driving my kids to school and this verse just washed over me. That God is the Father of all who is over all and through all and in all is that we can trust one another with our Father. We have to trust our Heavenly Father with the person that's sitting next to you. We have to trust that He is in control of their life and that He loves Him. He loves her more than you do. What I'm describing today doesn't rule out the importance of confrontation or challenging others. But when we do that, when we come into these relationships where we have to confront or challenge or to correct, we do so not from a place of our own anxiety to make this person get it. But we do it from a place of trust in our Father who is over all and through all and in all. We have to trust the Father. In the life of the church, in particular in the life of a church that's committed like we are to uncommon unity, you have to trust God with each other. In a church of uncommon unity, as I've described today, we're going to be worshiping with people who are different than us, who have different views than us, people who vote differently than us, people who imagine the world improving in a way that's different than us people who respond differently to whatever hot topic on Twitter is telling me that I should be angry today. They're responding differently to me than that. And when we disagree with our siblings, we have to trust our father with his kids. This does not rule out, again, confrontation or challenge. It does not rule out the kindness of coming to someone who we believe is in error or in sin. Uncommon unity does not ignore problems. Instead, it addresses them in the spirit of trust that the same Father who knows and loves me also knows and loves her, also knows and loves him. 
And so we can come to our disagreements free from anxiety, free from fear, free from the feeling that I need to manipulate and control to get this person to think like I do. We can come to these conflicts in trust that the one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all that he is in, at work in my brother or sister. And if he wants to use my words and my actions to change them, great. If not, that's okay too. Because he is the Father who is over all and through all and in all. We have to trust God with each other. All right, I've given us a lot today but I hope that I've painted for you a big cosmic vision for uncommon unity. This isn't just learning how to be nice to one another. This has eternal cosmic implications. It matters. There's more going on than what we can see. And when we think about that, I think that maybe I anyways just feel like that calling is just a little bit too overwhelming. Like angels and demons are watching me and like, it's just too much. So to begin this series on Uncommon Unity, I just want to make it simple for us today. I want to take a few minutes of quiet. As we think about Uncommon Unity, I want you to bring to mind the person in our church or in your life who God is calling you to live out verse 2 with in your own life. A person that you need to be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with that person in love. Who is God calling you to do that with? Maybe as you're being quiet, it feels like you um, maybe feel a little bit resistant to like naming that name because that kind of admits that you've got a problem. It's okay. They're probably thinking about you too. So bring them to God's attention. Bring whatever problem or conflict is in the way whatever sin is tearing you apart, just ask, Father, well, first of all, say, Father, I trust you with that person. I trust that you are the God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And would you bring the healing work of Christ for those things that have been torn apart because of, because of sin or difference or whatever it may be, that you would mend that tear. And ask God for his help, for the help of his Holy Spirit. These words, be completely humble and gentle, patient and bearing with one another in love. I've described them as, as small and hidden things, but we know how hard they are. We cannot do them without the help of his Spirit. So ask for his Spirit to help you today to live out verse 2 faithfully. Lord, we do ask you to help us to more fully live into this calling that you've given to us to be a church of uncommon unity. Would you teach us over the next three or four months to more fully trust in you as our Father, to more fully trust in the Spirit you've given to us, to more fully grasp and realize the, the great work of unity that you've accomplished through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. That we would receive those things and embrace them in our lives and allow those truths to pour out of us into our relationships with one another. 
Lord, we ask that you would make us more and more a church of uncommon unity. Amen.